I'm John. I'm Rob. And this is Wax Lyrical. Where we talk all things NFTs on the Wax blockchain and beyond. So Rob, we've got a very special guest on the podcast this week. We have indeed. It is Mr. Michael Rubinelli, the head of Wax Studios. Michael Rubinelli from Wax Game Studios. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you with us. Um, how's your day going so far? How's your week going? It's a, it's a busy week for blockchain brawlers. It's uh, been a very busy week. My day and, and week are going great. I just realized I'm the answer to a future trivia question. Who was the first live guest ever held uh, or ever uh, hosted on the Wax Lyrical podcast? So that gives me uh, an immense sense of pride. That will be in many quizzes, I imagine. <laughs> I hope so. Oh, fingers crossed. Um, so I guess the first thing I'll ask for, uh, for those of you listening who uh, may not know too much uh, about yourself, Mike, could you just give us uh, a bit of a background on you, your history, and how you ended up in your role at Wax Studios? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm a longstanding you know, game producer. I came up uh, in the industry starting in electronic arts, you know, back in the day as, as a product tester and kind of evolved my way into the production role and, you know, worked on a lot of sports games there. Uh, you know, Bill Walsh, college football, John Madden football, MLBPA, uh, you know, IMG tennis, really old games that a lot of people probably don't remember. But I was always kind of a, an esports gamer before esports was a thing and always a producer and always my love of gaming is what brought me there. And it was uh, every day you go there and you're like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. I'm probably stealing money from somebody. It's such a dream come true. And that's really kind of how I've, I've always lived my life. And uh, it's super exciting. But from there, I went on to run studios at, you know, Midway, Home Entertainment, Capcom, uh, THQ. I had a stint at Take-Two, which was super interesting. And then I had a real interesting uh, kind of education in terms of, you know, what it meant to be future-proof when I worked at a company called Playdom. And I learned about, you know, actionable analytics and failing fast and all the things that really are kind of hallmarks of successful games today, uh, you know, doing things on Facebook, uh, gaming-wise. And then we got bought by the Walt Disney Company and, you know, built Marvel, Avengers Alliance, and Guardians of Time, and a bunch of really successful games on Facebook. And from there, you know, it was really interesting because you're working in Silicon Valley in kind of 2010 through 2014, and you get this startup fever. And uh, I, I ran into a guy named Jason Selden, who's, uh, who's, who's, who's the COO and CFO of this company. And he said, uh, and, and we worked together for many, many years and we sold that company and, you know, kind of fast forward a few years later, he's like, hey, I'm working in a company called Wax and we're going to get in the games business. You know, can you come in and take that on? Of course, I was happy to. That's really cool. I, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know some of that. Also, I hadn't drawn the connection between um, Capcom and obviously we've had the Street Fighter Right, uh, right. NFT. So I, I did. I hadn't drawn that parallel before. Um, but that's, yeah, I mean that's quite a that's a colourful history so far. You've been in the industry for it must have been a while now. Then, yeah. We let's not talk about how many years because it makes me feel. No. Old. <laughs> I don't feel like uh, you know. I feel like an eighteen-year-old kid every single day. This industry keeps you young, uh, and gaming is such a wonderful, wonderful place to spend your career. And so, uh, yeah, it feels like I've been in for five years, but in reality, it's been longer than that. Hmm. I think uh, Rob's well versed in me talking about uh, talking about differences in age. <laughs> but like you, like you said, the the industry keeps us all young, and you know it's such a fresh and exciting space to be. In, and Web three is is certainly um, you know keeping us all young yet again. 
Um, so I guess the first uh, sort of main question I'll ask you is what is your approach to the leadership of Wax Game Studios and the games that you'll create? Yeah, you know, you guys touched upon, uh, you know, Skyweaver, a podcast or two ago about sort of your love of it. And the thing that you loved about it was as a standalone product, it was great. It happened to be on the blockchain. Uh, but as a standalone game, it was little, little, it was legitimately a great game. And that really is kind of core to who I am. And if you look back at my career, you know, I, so when I was at THQ, you know, we built everything on uh, the WWF side, WWE, WCW, uh, all the Rugrats, Rocket Power, all the licensed stuff for Warners, Han, uh, Hanna-Barbera, and on and on and on. And the thing that we always said back then is it has to be a great game regardless of the license. Like it has to stand on its own. It has to be amazing. If it happens to be licensed, then that's terrific. You know, and I think that, you know, you echoed a lot of those sentiments with Skyweaver. You know, I have very much the same approach. Like the game has to be objectively great. Let's start with that. Mm -hmm. And if it happens to be on the blockchain, okay, great. If it happens to be free to play, okay, fine. If it's a premium, fine. Mobile, Facebook, you know, whatever. Let's make sure the game itself is great and people understand why the product exists. And so you'll find a lot of that in the things that we do. It's we're not just like a check the box kind of company. Like, well, let's just put this out because everybody else is doing it. Like, ask me why this product exists and I'll tell you the reason for it. Yeah, that's an interesting um, comparison to draw that I, again, I, I hadn't really thought about how uh, a big brand license is similar in a way to mm. uh, blockchain in that, mm it shouldn't be a crutch it needs to be part of a bigger project part of a uh, the appeal of a game and the game itself needs to be addictive it needs to be rewarding it needs to be fun and i think my my biggest bugbear with uh, blockchain games since 2018 is uh, people are still trying to find where blockchain fits uh, where it fits organically i think trading card games like skyweaver that genre of game it just fits so smoothly with that that it's just been a success but a lot of blockchain games are criticized for being simplistic borderline just DeFi. i mean it's called game fire but <laughs> i don't love that term i think uh, they're two disparate concepts that have been kind of jammed together through the play to earn medium um and that's obviously going to be a concern about any games to come and, and blockchain brawlers I hope will go further than that. And I think it looks as if it will. Um, what sort of measures are you taking to make sure that it doesn't end up in that sort of category? Yeah, you know, let's let's look at that, shall we? So I think the thing that you find, ironically, the parallels between kind of licensed games on the con in the console space and still today on the mobile space, as well as these early adopters or these early efforts in, in, in pay to earn is, is really, really simple. It's, it's, it's low risk, like the license on the, on the free to play or the console gaming side means, oh, I get sort of low cost acquisition and people know the brand. And so there's immediately there's trust and on and on and on. So it lowers the risk profile. And that's why a lot of companies do it. The downside is a lot of companies lean way too heavily on the license. Like let's let it do all the heavy lifting. The game doesn't have to be great because the expectations are it's not a great game. It's a licensed game. It's not original IP and mm -hmm. on and on and on. I think the thing that you're finding the early play to earn space, which is really interesting to me as far as my research has led me to understand is that, you know, these are not a lot of classic game developers. It's an opportunity. They see it as kind of, again, low risk. If I just put something out there, people will adopt it. I don't have to worry about 
all these things because I get them to finance the game for me up front through, you know, you know, IDOs, ICOs, IEOs, IGOs. I kind of lose track of them all candidly after a while. <laughs> yeah. But they're like they're removing the risk because they see that it works. And there's no emphasis on, well, let's make sure the player experience is great. And let's make sure that, you know, the economies are balanced. And let's make sure that the the paradigm shift is we're kind of adding to that narrative and pushing the art form forward. They're like, look, let's just let's be really opportunistic with this. And um, you know, that risk is okay for small developers, but that's why you see AAA companies will not embrace this anytime soon. Um, because, you know, we know this is how the pattern works in kind of, you know, platform shifts and business model shifts for these big AAA groups. They're going to stay on the sidelines until they end up buying somebody who's got that right paradigm. That's ex I think that's a really big point. Um, I've often praised the indie developers for pushing the space forward and pioneering with blockchain and Web3. And I was heavily critical of Steam when it started pulling some of the early blockchain games from the platform because Steam has been um, integral to the indie developers being able to make money in the industry and being mm -hmm. able to build games. And I, I feel like it's inevitable that the big companies are just going to start hoovering up all the indie studios making these um, blockchain games. But I do think that they, they're going to be less interested in the games that are closer to just DeFi. I'm not going to use GameFi. I, I don't like it. Uh, just these sort of decentralized finance clicking games that I get the appeal of them. I mean, if you can earn money doing what you love, you're going to, you're going to do it. And and I, I do get the appeal, but I think we need to push for more from the industry. But there's a follow-up question I have to mm. my first question, which is the problem with blockchain gaming when it's play to earn is mm. how you manage the economy. Because in traditional games where you can't make, you know, fiat currency and now cryptocurrency, um, to get a thriving economy was essential if you had like an auction house or anything, but there wasn't really much risk to the game. It could be risk depending on other sort of microtransactions, but with um, blockchain games, I find one of the biggest problems of play to earn is pay to win where the most rare and impactful items are the most desirable and therefore the most expensive, but then whales with a lot of crypto can just come in get all the greatest items and just dominate the game. And I think I said last week um, as a, you know, a compliment to Skyweaver that I find that tremendously boring if somebody can just pay their way to beating me, even if they're a worse player. Um, how will blockchain brawlers walk that line? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting in that if you look at, you know, CCGs and you look at the history of them, even if you go back to Magic the Gathering, I'll never forget a moment I was playing with a bunch of my buddies. It was kind of the mid nineties and I had a library of Alexandria, which allowed me to generate mana much faster. And the more mana you have, the more cards you play, the more cards you play, the more options you have. And I was so proud of this card. I spent like $75 on it and I played it. <laughs> I was so happy. And then my buddy literally played a disenchant artifact. He's like, my 10 cent card just took out your $75 card. <laughs> How does that feel? I'm like, oh, it, it feels terrible. But on the one other hand, it feels great, right? Because you don't know. You set yourselves up and there's randomness involved and there's luck involved and there's strategy involved. And there's all these things. And so that's the thing I think that we always look at is when you talk about kind of pay to win and buying your way to the top, I think 
the wind condition is what you have to look at. Like if yeah. it's a CCG, it's obvious, you know, I have a certain, you know, hit point pool versus you and who gets to zero first loses and on and on and on. I think with a lot of games, it's not always PVP focused in terms of what is that win condition, right? Winning can be a uh, leaderboard tied to different things, not necessarily wins or losses. Leaderboards can be, or, or winning can be, um, you know, experiential. It can be all these different things. And so defining win, which seems like an obvious kind of like, well, you either win or lose. Like sometimes you don't. Sometimes progressing is a win, right? And in pay to earn, I think the win condition tends to be, you know, what is my ROI or what is my yield? Even if we don't set out on a goal to make sure that people are making as much money as they can, that's the implication. But I don't know that that's always, you know, explicitly true. We try to create an enjoyable experience. And what does that experience want to be? And what what is it comprised of? And mm -hmm. so now you start to wade into territory where bots give people an unfair advantage because they're writing scripts and they can do things that are very rote, much more than we can, 24 by seven and on and on and on. So that's not fair. So how are you countering that? So when you talk about kind of pay to win and how are we going to kind of you know address that or talk about that, we think about, well, what is that player experience? You know, we start at the player and we work backwards. And the thing that we, we've said we want to do is we want the best and most enjoyable moments in, the, in our product to be defined by things where humans actually have to make choices and they have to make decisions and they have to do them fairly, uh, you know, responsibly or in real time. Right. And this is how the things that are going to highlight that player journey are really kind of brought to light. And we talk about or we think about this world where. If you think of like a professional wrestling broadcast, right, there's heels and there's baby faces, which means, you know, the bad guys and the good guys. There's, you know, cutting promos. There's live pay-per-view events with special belts and special awards. Like all these things are driven by player behaviors, not necessarily, you know, scripts that are being run in the background that are generating a lot of a currency. And to participate in those things and have success in those things, we think feels like wins. You know, now you mm -hmm. layer in the fact that, you know, we want to write a whole narrative around all the people who take part in these things and actually make, you know, the brawler owners, you know, give them some, some, you know, some fame, you know, this person did this and they said that and they won this and, you know, they're the bad guy. And all of a sudden now the community is like, yeah, that guy's a bad guy. You know, <laughs> we're going to pile on him. I can't believe him and really create some drama around it. Like none of that is pay to win, but that's part of the experience, you know, and creating this universe in which, you know, the narrative and the implications to narrative and where people go with that and the fan fiction that stems from that, like it can be really interesting and impressive in terms of, you know, well, this is just a clicker game. Like, well, yeah, it that's the that's the construct for interacting. But the things that we're going to layer on top of that are really super interesting and differentiated. Yeah, I hmm. think the um, the community uh, sort of driven content around blockchain balls is uh, we're already seeing some some rather interesting Twitter profiles. Uh, we've got uh, <laughs> yeah. we've got we've got Scotty Wide Eye on on Twitter. He's uh constantly Great. tweeting about blockchain brawlers and about his his journey and you know him training and it, it's fantastic to see and um, it, you know going back um, deep into your response there, I think meaningful choices are. I feel like they're, they're missing somewhat in a lot of the, the sort of the Web3 gaming experiences we have at the moment. And having right. those within blockchain brawlers is something that I really think is going to, you know, give the game a wider appeal and really push the game uh, over the edge, so to speak. Um, yes. Just just to, um, to change tact here a little bit, although it's on a, sort of a similar note, um, in your opinion, what are the biggest obstacles preventing the mainstream adoption of Web3 today? And how does the industry go about solving them? You know, and by the way, Scotty Wide-Eye is a great follower on Twitter. So if, if you're not <laughs> Scotty, 
He is hilarious and it's great. And that's kind of the love of community and the thing that you're going to see us always do. We're always going to lean into our community. We're going to listen to our players. I, I think you made a comment a podcast or two ago, like, I really wish the game companies listened to their players more. Well, they do listen mm -hmm. to their players. They listen to them uh, not as much anecdotally as much as they do empirically, right? So they'll look at all the analytics to see where players are spending time and energy and kind of, you know, you know lean in there because to quote unquote, listen to the players is hard to do on an anecdotal basis, right? Like one-on-one -on -one or just getting a feel for a community is something scary for a product manager to, to look at. Um, in terms of kind of how are we going to get mass adoption? Look, I, I think that, you know, I talk about this a lot is, <laughs> you know, anybody who's played uh, a lot of games and particularly one game or, you know, overall extended period of time, there's that cringy moment where you see that button that says, you know, time in game. <laughs> and you kind of want to click it. You kind of don't want to click it. And then at some point, the morbid curiosity just grips you and you're like, oh, my God, I have to know. I'm like, I don't want to know. No, I have to know. No, I don't want to like and there's this real hustle. Right. And you click it and you're like, holy cow, you know, 87 days. 87 days, you know, basically 24 hours. So like, that's how many minutes I've played in this game. And that is unbelievably awful because, you know, there's beautiful blue sky and fresh air outside. All these things I should be doing in my family and this and that and the other. Now what we've done, though, with this play to earn space, which I think is super interesting, is you're monetizing people's engagement, right? Mm -hmm. You're monetizing their retention. And that's a really, really powerful thing. Now, all of a sudden, you're removing that guilt factor of, I'm playing this game and I have nothing to show for it. It's a free to play game that, you know, I've got, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of into, and this can get shut down at any point in time. And I have nothing to show for it. And I had nothing to show for it along the way other than the experience. Like it's sort of the similar rationalization of, Oh, I got to Las Vegas and I lose, you know, a couple hundred dollars and that's okay because it's quote unquote entertainment. It's the price of entertainment. And that's how you justify it. And gaming is the same thing. Well, you know, I play this game and it gives me entertainment. But now all of a sudden what we're saying is this massive sea changes. Hey, guess what, guys? You're playing this product and you're spending time with us. Now we're going to help you monetize your, your entertainment and your enjoyment. And once you realize the value and the power of that paradigm shift to the player who has, you know, thousands and thousands of games of League of Legends or Call of Duty or Fortnite or what have you, like that's a really, really powerful thing for the player, right? Now all of a sudden you're saying it's okay. Engage deeply. You know, figure out, you know, if there's if there's a secondary market for you to monetize your experience, your progression, what have you. Like, that's a really, really powerful thing. And there is no North Star about what that looks like today, but it's coming. Mm -hmm. And once that grips the world and players understand this, it's going to it's going to have this massive shift in, in, in people's perceptions. I also think that, you know, the industry, the, the, the Web3 industry has to do a better job of educating the player. I, you know, look, I've talked to. I've talked to EA, I've talked to Riot, I've talked to, you know, all my people who, who are friends who run these companies and like, we're, our communities are just too scared of the environmental impact tied to Web3. I'm like, yeah, on delegated, you know, on delegated proof of stake, that's not an issue. Proof of work, I understand it. And the Ethereum concerns, I understand. We don't disparage other chains, but we understand the pushback. But you have to educate the player. Like a lot of times fear goes away once people understand what, really what is the impact of something and then what is the benefit. You know, like uh, I think uh, Phil Spencer at Xbox recently said, you know, we hate, you know, kind of predatory NFTs and we we don't like this. We don't like that. That all comes from kind of fear and, and, and uncertainty and education solves a lot of those things. And so there's a few hurdles to get over. There's some paradigm shifts that are coming. But once you understand the power of 
creating a player to player economy or a participation economy for the players, like that changes literally everything. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating for me to see how polarizing blockchain technology and gaming mm. is. I've always felt, um, I mean, I'm maybe a little bit younger than you, but uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I have no idea. I'm maybe a little bit younger than you, but I've I've grown up feeling as if being a gamer was part of my identity. Gaming now is so prevalent. It, mm. Everybody is a gamer. It, fe it feels like everyone's a gamer. My four-year-old nephew is on his Xbox every day playing like racing games and stuff. Mm -hmm. But when I grew up, that wasn't the case. And there were gamers and there were people that just didn't didn't really play games. And so it really it, it's kind of heartbreaking to see how divisive NFTs have become mm. in the space because we've we've seen so many gamers just pull back and I see them saying, oh, it's a scam and it's just another way for the studios to make money off you. And I mean, I think I said this before, but we we want the studios to make money for one because, you know, mm -hmm. that's how we keep getting games. Mm -hmm. And yes, they will make money even off secondary sales if, you know, they bake in the, the percentage. But you will come away with with items, which has never happened before. I mean, you, you mentioned you know, 80 days or whatever played in a game. I, I played WoW from 2004 and I, I've played it this year and I am never typing uh, forward slash played. <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing that to myself because I, I know it's an absolutely obscene number. Right. And I'm only ever one rogue comment away from my account being banned and me losing, you know, <laughs> years and years and years of my effort and, and life. And right. I, I, I'd love the players to understand that that, and I think, it, like you say, it's key to mainstream adoption is is the players understanding that you're actually getting something for your time, which, right. you know, isn't necessary, I guess. You're getting enjoyment out of the game, or you should be. Right. Um, but it, it does change the dynamic of the experience, and uh, it, it, give, it feels more rewarding that your investment is, you know, an investment, so to speak. But I think as many of the positives there are, and we will always talk about them, there are concerns about the current state of blockchain gaming and you know where blockchain gaming will go in the future. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, just to sort of um, put it in context, I'd say my personal fears for the current state of blockchain gaming is that it's uh, too centric on play to earn and people have forgotten that it's a game in many ways it's just what's the quickest way to earn money which i mean is obviously going to be inevitable um and then that for me that really follows straight into the future with i worry that the play to earn aspect will have studios forcing people into gameplay loops even more than they currently are and that it, it will just be how can i make the most amount of money not how can i enjoy myself the most um so they're my concerns but yeah i'd love to know what you think of the current state and you know what you're worried about for the future yeah you've talked about this before and i think it's a super interesting topic I, the, the reality is is that you know markets are self-correcting right and, and game situations are self-correcting so as an example if you're a big you know triple a developer and you force people into loops that are quote unquote the grind of the game uh, and it hurts retention players will leave and again, the the developer or publisher will have to make a decision of, you know, do we want to keep pushing down, them down this path when it actually hurts our audience retention it hurts our chances to monetize, it hurts engagement levels, it hurts all these things. Like they pay attention to how people perform. Some people like you, you can think about like as an example, you'll appreciate this. Right. So that once upon a time, you know, when WoW first introduced the 25 daily quests, like mm. you know, 
you felt like you had to do them because you got a certain amount of currency more than you would otherwise. And it was a, a real kind of what to do every single day. Well, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I hate that because, you know, this takes me, let's call it, you know, 75 minutes and I get, you know, call it 2000 gold, but for a dollar, I can get 5,000 gold. So is my, <laughs> yeah. is my time, my 75 minutes of my life worth more than a dollar? Of course it is. So I'm going to spend that dollar and not have to do those daily quests. Like, and I opted out of the daily quest. Like I never did that, right? Because I had another means to get where was they were trying to get me to go to. I think the thing that that you have to understand is that you say, I love playing these games and I feel like pay to earn is too much on the pay to earn side. But at the end of the day, the thing that you're really, you're talking about the exact same thing. It's all about progression. And if you are building uh, a construct inside of a game where people are progressing in their ability to earn more on a day over day basis, that is a form of gaming, right? That is a, that is a trope that is understood because, you know, it, you know, I hate to quote Woody Allen. He famously once said, I think it was in Annie Hall, which is a mil million years old, and your audience probably doesn't know it. He said, you know, a relationship is like a shark. It has to swim forward or else it's going to die, right? And we always say that retention, the formula for retention, because that's kind of one of the hardest things to understand is how do I keep somebody in something, right? The formula for retention is well-messaged progression towards a desirable goal. So if I can show you something that you really, really want, I can show you how to get there, and then you can pro you can progress at an acceptable pace, then I can keep you there for a really long time. And so you hear people all the time like, oh, I want to save up and buy this car. Or I want to go on this place for a vacation. What do they do? They put a little bit of money aside here or there, or they stop doing certain things that aren't really good investments or good spends because it allows them to get to that desirable goal sooner. So in pay to earn gaming, it's all, it's still gaming, right? It's progressing towards something. That's a game in and of itself. That's a, maybe it's the gamification of, of, of finance, but it's still a game in that regard. And so you're like, oh, I play World of Warcraft and I love to level up and I love to run Naxxramas because I'm going to get this sword that's going to allow me to then run this raid and da, 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 da. It's all a series of progressions, which makes you feel like you're moving forward and you're not dying. And that's why they retain you. The same is true in GameFi. I think the thing that you're missing is where's the real kind of enjoyment outside of that, right? And I will tell you that those things are coming. I've seen, you know, I've talked to uh, kind of I developers and I've seen what they're building. There are some great stuff coming in the next two years. So keep the faith. It's just the opportunists that are building content now. It feels like, wow, is this mm -hmm. all there is? There's not. I'm telling you, I've, I've seen some unbelievable technology demos that they say, you know, we're bringing this to the blockchain because we believe in it. And it's from really uh, established developers that don't work at these big companies. They used to, and they got out because they didn't like how limited they were. There's amazing content coming. It's just, it's, it's, it's on the cusp. And I think the thing that you're going to hear us say at WAX is we want to learn all these valuable lessons along the way. So that when, uh, you know, the industry matures and it gets mass adoption, you know, we've learned all the lessons about, you know, the tokenomic situation and, you know, player onboarding and pricing and, you know, secondary markets and, you know, DEXs versus, you know, centralized exchanges and on and on and on. Like we want to get really, really smart about the space and all the sort of the foundational things that you need to have in place, the underpinnings of the successful play to earn business. And I know that was a lot of words and I apologize, but it's just <laughs> No, I mean, we've talked on the podcast before about, um, you know, executive level staff that are moving from uh, particular positions at companies specifically to to work in the, uh, you know, the emerging NFT space and the crypto space. And, you know, as, a, as an aside to that, we've, you know, we've also said in the past that at the moment it is a lot of, um, you know, a lot of small studios, a lot of indies, but it's inevitable in the next 12, 24, 36 months 
that we're going to start seeing these blockbuster AAA uh, takes on the Web3 gaming space. And when those come around, I think they're going to do a, a massive favor to bring the adoption to the traditional sort of Web2 gaming audience. Uh, of course, one of the uh, things that is going to help sort of weave the various crypto communities together are bridges. Now, mm-hmm. you published uh, an update earlier in the week on the Binance bridge with WAX. Um, I, I suppose what I'll quickly ask is, um, how's that going for you? And is WAX exploring any other bridges? Yeah, look, the stated philosophy of WAX is really simple. Is we want to create maximum NFT liquidity. It's that simple, right? You, you, you build or buy something or create something on WAX, you want to be able to sell it everywhere you possibly can. And that's really what this is a nod towards. And I, the thing I'll tell you is that, look, you know, we love Binance. We love what they've done. We love what they're all about. Uh, you know, we're really friendly with them and we have a, a tremendous amount of respect for them. And so um, to the extent that their players can now come in and, and bridge over an NFT and use it in our game and then bridge it back out and sell it, whether they sell it on any of our marketplaces or they sell it on any Binance related marketplaces is up to them. The goal is max NFT liquidity. And we're going to try to have that everywhere you know, we possibly can. So, yeah, we appreciate, uh, uh, you, you know, what that wants to uh, do to help the players, again, sort of drive and build upon a player participation economy. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think uh, John and I talk about this borderline weekly, but um, the sort of tribal warfare between blockchains is is mm-hmm. tiresome. And I like the fact that the buzzword recently has been interoperability of mm-hmm. uh, blockchains and the bridge between WAX and BSC is, is obviously... Uh, a good one and i think what we're going to see more of is uh collaboration between chains and I, I think the the one between wax and bsc for blockchain brawlers is one of the first of its you know of its kind where it's really a kind of uh, a big move for, for hmm. both both parties uh, and i wonder with the increase in player pool because that is one of the, the benefits of a bridge is you have access to uh, a larger pool of players Obviously, getting new players into a WAX game when they've never heard of WAX is the ultimate task. That's that's something that's um, that hopefully is as easy as possible with onboarding being traditionally quite difficult with Web3. But as we get better at that and we get people in, um, it, it will open up. But the combining of blockchains is the quickest way right now, I think, to get players. And I, I've been wondering, well, I've, I've got two questions here. One, I'm not sure how how you can answer this uh and that is about the genres of games we're going to see with uh increased players it, it opens up more options to what you can do with web3 games and with bigger player bases you can have things like mmos um, and i wondered if there's a genre of game that you think will benefit particularly from blockchain technology and i also want to ask what genre is blockchain brawlers because i've it's just occurred to me i don't even know if i know the answer to that yeah those are two great questions uh so first of all i i think that you know it's obvious to say ccgs and or tcgs whatever you're going to call them or is is a natural but if you look at you know the original kind of secondary market was ultima online back in kind of the, the, the mid to late 90s and you could, you know, build and create content inside of Ultima Online, and then you go onto eBay and you could sell it. So yeah. the earliest days of RPGs, building and earning or outgrowing items was a thing. And yeah. you know, you almost never had a chance to sell something that you had you had obtained to somebody else who wanted it. 
And so you look at MMOs, I think that's a real obvious play. They can say, well, the extension of an MMO ultimately is a metaverse because it's a metaverse. Ultimately, MMO, we can get into that whole morass of defining, you know, metaverses and whatnot. And everybody's got a metaverse and what's the best definition and on and on and on. But I think, look, I, I, you're going to see bets in all the spaces. I, you know, heard I was talking to a, a big triple triple A publisher in the free to play space and said, yeah, we're going to bring all of our really high audience plays into blockchain gaming. I'm like, there's no obvious. I'm in my mind. I'm like, okay. There's no obvious NFT play there. There's no obvious token tie there. Like all the things you sort of go through of, will this work? And it was clear to me they were just lacking the education. But the point is, is that everybody is going to try. And there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be thrown up against the wall. And not a lot of it's going to stick. But the things that stick, the signals that come are going to be really loud and really obvious. And people are going to lean into that. So you're going to see, you know, a lot of Axie Infinity clones. You're going to see a lot of Splinterland clones. You're going to see a lot of Skyweaver clones. But you're also going to see a lot of, you know, really high-end kind of AAA produced, you know, FPSs. And you're going to see a lot of third-person shooters. And you're going to see the inevitable MMORPG, like uh, World Eternal, which is a game that's been announced, but it hasn't picked a chain yet. Like, it's this gorgeous game built by these really savvy developers. It's just like, whoa, this is coming to the blockchain in the next kind of eight to ten months? Okay, got it. We've seen, you know, I, I mentioned in my... Um, my recent interview with you, John, that you know we really love Doctor Zamzi, which is a which is a Clash a Clash Royale style game. Like that could very well work in just the same way that a collectible card game works. So I think the answer is there's a couple of obvious genres, but there's going to be things that surprise people that you don't anticipate because mm. you never know, right? And that's the joy of this industry is the creativity, the crowdsourced kind of content creation is going to drive really compelling experiences. In terms of what is blockchain brawlers, blockchain brawlers is uh, it is a it is ultimately a wrestling game um, where it maybe isn't a Twitch based wrestling game, but what it wants to become and what it will become is this really engrossing game where your player choices done dynamically matter. And it's not always a fait complete. like you won't know the outcome, but you try to set yourself up for success. And the thing that I, I told, uh, you know, I tell anybody who listens is, you know, be patient with us because day one is going to be the worst version of this game. But, you know, pay attention to the roadmap, pay attention to how we see the world and have faith and patience in us because we're going to build a super compelling, super engaging game that you really have emotional empathy with your character or your set of characters and what they're doing and where they're going. And we're going to help kind of bring that to the, to the, you know, sort of front and center. Yeah. That, it's, it's interesting to, there's so many, <laughs> you're very good at hype building me for, for blockchain borders <laughs> because I, I always want to push for more details, but I know we've just got to wait our turn and, and the details are coming, but it sounds as if there's um, a sort of law that's going on uh, in blockchain brawlers, which is is interesting. I think it adds an, an extra dimension. And I, I want to follow that my last question up a little bit, actually, because you're talking about building blockchain brawlers into something more substantial, something, um, you know, truly epic. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to give you, this is a real softball question, I think, but uh, I'll give it to you anyway. <laughs> if yeah. you had uh, an unlimited budget and a bottomless pool of talent, what sort of blockchain game would you choose to build? Oh, yeah. You know, look, that's a that's a great question. And, you know, we could probably spend a whole podcast or two on just kind of what that wants to be. I will tell you that. So I'm going to get to your answer eventually, but let me talk to you about kind of how I'm wired and why I make the decisions that I make is that I always feel like, you know, I want to live a meaningful life because so much of my 
you know, my waking hours are spent building content. So I, I always find that the things that make my life feel meaningful or the things that drive happiness for me uh, kind of ties to having a cause greater than yourself, right? So if you can find a cause that is greater than yourself, you can do for others, then that is something that really is fulfilling and, and, and you know, makes me kind of validate kind of why I am and who I am and where I'm going. It guides me a lot. Um, you know, so in terms of, okay, cause greater than yourself, what does that mean? And how do you drive happiness there? There's this whole notion of, you know, getting educated and informing or being informed leads to, you know, more opportunities. Uh, and so, uh, it, there's this great quote by this, uh, by this philosopher from the twenties. It says, uh, it's, it's a guy named, uh, Wittgenstein. He says, you know, the limit of my language is the limit of my world. And oh my god! Uh, sorry, I've got to interrupt you. Um, he was in my master's thesis, and that's my favorite quote of his. Oh, High five! Oh. <laughs> the the point is, which is really interesting, is that you know he can't learn and he can't progress unless he has the ability to communicate with everybody as many people as possible. So what the net net I take away from that is proximity. He wants to have proximity and access to people who expand his world. And so I think about, you know, in the old days, proximity was, oh, I'll pick up a book from somebody that I don't know, but I'll read it and I'll learn about them or I'll learn from them. Right. Or now I'm, you know, I'm listening to podcasts or I'm doing all these things. So now you fast forward to today and you think about kind of what is the metaverse and what does it want to be? Right. The metaverse is like, oh, I'm going to go on. I'm going to shop and do all these things. And it's like, yeah, OK. But to me, in terms of the game that I would build is I would build a series. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but how you get there is kind of interesting. Like I would literally try to build Ready Player One, right? Because it is the ultimate experience of what it is that you want in terms of what proximity do you want, right? So you can have, you know, you can attend Harvard, uh, you know, in a metaverse, but you can also play, you know, any kind of racing game or shooting game, but you can also do any kind of shopping. And more importantly, you can do all these things collectively with friends or people that are, are, are like-minded. And you can game, you can shop, you can consume content like movies and TV shows together. Like, it's this really interesting thing. I think the thing that I always believed that really was a real light bulb moment for me, it was when I learned about kind of what was the definition of social gaming. And I went to, you know, and I went to play them like, oh, you know, it's, it's Farmville and it's Mafia Wars and it's this. And so I'm like, those aren't social games at all. Those are software toys. Like, to me, the social game is World of Warcraft. I have mm. 13 possible jobs, but I can only have two. And I need my clan or my guild or my friends to do, I need, I'm not an enchanter. So I need this and I need that. So now all of a sudden I'm playing this game and these people are helping me progress and we're progressing together, which is a really powerful, you know, kind of paradigm to think about. And people aren't playing the game since 2004, like you are, because it's got, you know, what, 17 years of innovation, 18 years of innovation. It's these relationships that you've built. It's this investment you've done in, the, in community and social pressures, all these wonderful things. So I would love to build a series of kind of interactions that I can do with people that enjoy doing them with me, where I have total choice to change my proximity to allow me to feel like I'm living a meaningful life. And that's, uh, that's a mouthful, but that's, that's what I would do. And it's, I don't think the meta, I don't think, you know, Facebook is going to get that done because I think it's too audacious for them. They're not wired to build these kind of experiences. They're not a content company, they're a platform and, you know, they're going to hire 15,000 new people and spend $10 billion over the next five years. I don't think they can get it done. Um, mm. It's an audacious task. Um, I, I think that if you were to look at any group that's doing things similar to this, there's a company called Manticore. 
uh, run by a guy named uh, Frederick DeCamps and Jordan Maynard. They are they have this kind of this game development series of portals where people are actually building whatever they want, and you can connect them all organically. And it's super compelling. And it is a metaverse in of itself. It's not on the blockchain per se, but it is purpose built. I mean, it's almost like textbook, it would be wonderful, you know, kind of in a web three kind of way. And it's really clever and it's really interesting. And, and the beauty of it is it's completely crowdsourced. It's like here, here are easy to adopt tools and uh, you know, you're only limited by your imagination. So have at it. And the things that the community is building on that platform are just, I mean, it's just mind bogglingly cool. It's like, holy cow, it's all done. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's done on unreal. And so it looks gorgeous and you know, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope you're right. I, I wouldn't want Meta to um, have any real stake. They've proven themselves untrustworthy uh, <laughs> with our data, so I wouldn't want them. Um, I'd also caution against modeling yourself too much on Wittgenstein because he moved to the middle of nowhere and went mad. So uh, <laughs> yeah. definitely don't follow his trajectory too closely. Right. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll follow up from, um, from Rob's question about the ideal watching game. But I think Ready Player One is, oh, well, I think all of us would... Uh, chomp at the bit for that kind of experience to come uh, to come at us down the line. Um, yeah. But just to follow on from that, um, you mentioned in uh, in our interview that we conducted a week or so ago that uh, Wax Game Studios currently has four other games in development. Mm -hmm. Is there anything at all you can tell us about those four? You know, I, I can't because they're not announced, but what for I sure. will say is everything that we're doing we're doing for a reason not to be opportunistic. Like we're trying to learn and we're trying to understand. Uh, I can talk really kind of vaguely about, you know, one of the games is a mass audience adoption game that kind of increases the top of the funnel because we okay. do want to educate. We do want to you know, sort of lower price point to get into, to understand like it's not so scary and it's got a kind of a really broad genre. It's a really kind of interesting engagement uh, a series of loops. Um, it's super compelling, we think, in that regard. And we're trying to do that to kind of show the world, like, hey, it's not always, you know, a huge, you know, entry kind of price point. And so there's that. Um, we have something that is much more uh, kind of, you know, guild friendly, if you will. You know, you know, we love what Gabby Dyson and the guys at YGG are doing. And we're trying to lean into that and learn from that a little bit. So everything that we do, every game that we're building, there's a purpose to it. It's not just like, you know, here's an opportunity for us to you know, do a cash grab really quick. And then you're risking, you know, can I slip it in a rug slip? Um, you know, we can make that part of the vernacular if you guys like. Oh, you just made Rob a very happy man. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. So we, we look at every single opportunity to really go out and learn something. And really education is at the key of everything. Cause if you're not learning, you know, which means a lot of times if you're not failing, then you're not moving forward. And it's always how can we do something better and be informed by how our kind of players behave. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's great to know that you've got this this purpose folk uh, purpose first development mm -hmm. focus, mm -hmm. and and to hear that there's something coming along the line to to really you know expand that funnel, especially as um that that's fantastic to hear for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I, just as we uh, as we are recording this, it is Thursday. Of course, this is being published on a Friday. Um, the Rick Flair uh, pack sale details uh, are well; they've just come out. So, what would um, would you like to break those down for us? 
Yeah, so we uh, we did a deal with Ric Flair because everybody loves Ric Flair, and we wanted to uh, you know bring a little bit of the personality and the color of like we always feel like the brawlers, the one of one brawlers we put out. And if you, you we talk about kind of the the narrative going forward after we go launch, if you look at the back of the cards, all the brawlers that have been released so far have really funny and interesting and campy backstories, and we think Ric Flair fits into that you know mold beautifully, and you know he's been great to work with. And the pack sale details, which are interesting, because he's a legendary. And typically, you know, the community had said, look, we're really upset because these things auction based are out of our price range. And, you know, we get that. Like, we didn't set the auction prices. You know, the community did. And uh, you talked about one guy who had like seven or eight. He actually has 24. It's 24 one of ones. Wow. Like, it's it's mind boggling to us. And we never anticipated that. Um, he's trying to going to set up his own guilds and we're going to get into, you know, kind of brawler lending, maybe hopefully down the road and all, all that fun stuff. But in terms of Ric Flair, this really was a thank you to the community. Like, look, here's your chance to get whitelisted to buy one of, you know, 90, uh, Ric Flair legendaries. Each one is going to be unique, whether it's a combination of robe, belt, hairstyle, you know, tights, shoes, sunglasses, uh, what have you, uh, this is a thank you. And so, if you look at what the auction prices were, you know, kind of 30 to 80,000 wax in a lot of cases or in all cases, I guess, uh, as it were on the, the auctions on wax, like this is an NFT pack for 5,000 wax, like it's or $1,500, I guess is what it would be today. It's a $1,500 NFT that's probably worth, you know, you know, 10x that and mm. we could get a lot more for these, but we don't want to. We want to say to the community, thank you for your support. Here you go. You you, we understand the frustrations about not being able to afford the auctions as they came out, but here's a hundred more priced much more reasonably. And if you're part of this whitelist and you get chosen, we're going to give you a golden battle tag and give you the chance to buy your very own unique, uh, you know, Ric Flair, uh, you know, NFT. And if you can't afford uh, to buy it, then you can sell that golden battle tag, which is your ticket to to buy. You can sell them in the secondary market. Again, a thank you to the community. This is this is absolutely 100% what that's all about. And we could not be more pleased with um, you know, our ability to do that. And that's one of the things you get with Wax is that we don't have the same pressures um, uh, that other companies have in, in the space because we're, you know, we're, we're better financed. We are much more experienced. We're a, a big uh, and seasoned team that has every discipline covered. For sure, I think those uh, 100 people that are on the uh, the whitelist flat packs uh, should count themselves very lucky indeed. And uh, just on a quick note, you know, I'm a massive wrestling fan, and you really couldn't have gotten anybody better <laughs> to really to really kick up the the hype for blockchain brawlers. For sure, you know, I, I'm not going to do a woo. I did one in the blockchain bulletin video at the time. I think I've embarrassed <laughs> myself enough on that front. Um, <laughs> But it, I, I guess I, I've got to ask the question with Ric Flair on board. I think you've, you've answered it in the past, but um, is Wax considering partnering with, let's say, other wrestlers, organizations, influencers, et cetera? Yeah, 100%. Look, I, I, I think that the thing that you're going to hear us say cautiously publicly is that, well, we'll have to see how this goes. It's going great. It's doing really well. We'd like to do more of these things. We assume it's going to perform. Um, but again, the, the, the decisions that we make are tied to the to how the audience and the player behaviors play out. And so you're not going to hear us publicly commit to saying, yep, we're going to do six more and mm -hmm. you know, stay tuned. But I'm telling you that if something works really, really well, we're going to double down on it. And if something doesn't work, we'll move away from it or we'll try to improve it. 
So that's it's uh, it's kind of a non-answer, but it's very much you know how we see the world. We don't commit until we know this is something that's positive for the game, positive for the community, uh, and and positive for and candidly, you know the the brand stakeholders involved as well. If this was a massive flop and it looked bad for Rick, which it is, and it's ama- it's been amazing for him, but like we wouldn't want to sully his brand either. So that's something we're very conscious of. Of course, and uh, well, that uh, really gets my mind racing. At least thinking of all the all the possibilities for sure Um, but uh, i guess we'll have to well i'll have to i'll have to keep those and fingers crossed some of them may uh, may happen down the line um let's uh let's change tact a little bit here so obviously 2022 so far has been huge for wax i think you're you're up to now over 12 million wax wallets and in terms of nfts uh, i think atomic hub today uh got over the 130 million NFT mark, which has gone up, I think, 40 million in the last six weeks, which is just unbelievable growth for the start of 2022. So on that note, uh, by the end of 2022, where would you like Wax to be as a blockchain? And what part do you see Wax Studios playing in that? You know, I th- it goes back to the tribalism of, of the blockchains and why people are, are the way that they are. And I think that the thing that we you know, we'll start to do a better job and you'll see a lot of it in 2022 is really kind of much more publicly expressed to the, the world who we are and why we exist. I, I talked to a lot of my friends in the industry and they say, oh, I've never heard of Wax. I'm like, well, we've got 12 million, you know, unique wallet holders. We've got, you know, more transactions on a daily basis than every other chain combined. Like I've heard of Ethereum, I'm like, right, everybody has, because that's where, you know, the board apes and the crypto punks sell for, you know, outrageous amounts of money and that gets all the headlines. But, you know, people, like, well, what is wax? Like wax is the best kept secret and, and it kills me. Like I would tell you that I, by the end of 2022, I want wax to be a household name. Um, wallet numbers, I'm not going to guess. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be significant. Yeah. But it really is about kind of wax becoming much more like, oh yeah, it's built on wax. Of course it is, right? Wax is highly transacted and there's no gas fees and the responsiveness. I think the thing that that, that people don't realize is they, as they look at, you know, other chains, whether it's, you know, any layer two solutions like, you know, Polygon or, or, or Avalanche or what have you is, you know, you're really limited by what the layer one can do. And when we see, you know, these companies go out and we know that they're, you know, you know, writing decent sized checks to get their chain adopted by content companies. At some point, there's going to be a moment of atonement where uh, either the fees go up or the time to get your NFT transaction to go through is, you know, not, you know, minutes, but it's hours or even days. Uh, That's going to be frustrating. And you're never going to find that with Wax. Like Wax, you know, transaction cost, transaction speed, scalability, like that's the real secret sauce behind Wax. Because Wax was purpose built for blockchain gaming and for NFT transactions. And at some point, people are like, oh wow, I, of course that's how it is. And we don't do a good job of messing that, but we're going to, and we're going to beat our chests. Uh, it's it's a it's a source of pride for us, but we're going to do it not in a, gosh, not in a douchey way, but in a very like just you know kind of you know we don't like to sell, we like to educate. I guess is how I always like to couch it. So you're going to find us educating hopefully the world a lot more about what wex is all about yeah i hope to see um more people notice what wax is doing through just their success at doing it we've seen i'm not going to name names although i definitely could it's my podcast but uh we've seen games that have risen to prominence on other chains and then broken the chain because, because they've been so successful which you know wax has got possibly the best use case evidence of uh, transactions and the chain being able to handle that um so i do yeah i'm, I'm right there with you and I, and I hope that 
uh, we can just keep putting the numbers out there and educating people and uh, and hopefully bring more games into the space. One thing that John and I did at the start of this year is we we looked back at we did sort of a 2021 wrap up and mm-hmm. we looked at the the stats and um, a lot of the impressive movement we saw in 2021. I mean, I spoke a lot about how you know 2018, 2019, and summer 2020 just could have been one year because it just the blockchain gaming space did not move. It was just tiny indie projects trying to make waves, couldn't really do it. And then 2021 happened and it is just wild with the, the explosive growth. And we're still, it hasn't slowed down at all. If anything, it's starting to speed up and we're seeing more and more projects. And it's becoming, for me at least, far more difficult to predict where we'll be in 12 months. Um, but I think in many ways, the more interesting question is where we'll be in 10 years, because mm. I think mainstream adoption takes a very long time and you know, as you've mentioned, main a lot of the big studios are, are currently scared of of using blockchain. They see it as a risk, which you know they're not entirely wrong. It's difficult to onboard people. There are plenty of ways you can make mistakes, and those mistakes are costly. Um, but where do you see Wax Game Studios in ten years from now? Ideally, like what do you what do you see as your trajectory and your end game? Do you have an idea of of what you want to do long term? Yeah, I think we should talk about the industry in general, and then we can talk about what Wax's place inside that industry. You know, mm-hmm. Al Kahanian said, you know, a few weeks back, and he's a big kind of, you know, pay-to-earn game believer and Web3 believer. He said there will be no game inside of five years that doesn't have some component of Web3 of, of web or, or, or pay-to-earn in it. He's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That's That's where this world is going. There is no denying it. And if you don't believe that, then you're not paying attention, and you're going to get left behind. You know, AAA, you know, game companies will never lead. They will always follow. But once it becomes accepted, then they will buy their way into the market. Like we've seen this time and time again. History is perfectly consistent on this point. If you look at, you know, mobile games, every single mobile gaming company that's had massive success was native mobile, right? Zynga, it's Supercell, it's it's Rovio, it is King.com or King. Uh, it, it It is those groups that were willing to embrace kind of free to play. And, you know, I, 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 I'd love to talk about the story of when I got religion around free to play, I called up my buddies at some of the companies I worked at and they're like, wait a minute, you're building a game and you're spending millions of dollars in development. Yes. And it's free to download. Yes. And 99% of your audience will never pay you. Yes. But the ones who do pay you pay you a quarter. Yes. And that's going to work. It will. There's no way. You're wrong. You're, you know, when you're out of a job in six months, call us. We'd love to hire you back. It's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, that's the reaction. You know, business model shifts are company killers. They really are. It's super risky. And why would you want to risk something that you're doing already that makes money? Like, like it, there's no reason to. Like, risk is, you know, fear of loss is the greatest motivator in life. You know, you want it to be hope for gain, but it's fear of loss because you know we have this two million year old survival software in our head that keeps us from taking risks. So, um, but once you understand the paradigm shift and creating in the power of creating a player to player economy, like there's no way that this isn't where the world is going to go. And so what's going to happen, I think over the next kind of three, four or five years is that a North star for play to earn game is going to come out. And then there's going to be, there's going to be the shift and people are like, okay, great. It's legitimate. There's no more security concerns. Onboarding you talked about is really important. Like one of the things that, you know, kind of blockchain brawlers focused heavily on, which doesn't seem super sexy, but I think it's super important, is onboarding. Like we have an unbelievable mm. 
mm-hmm. kind of tutorial in terms of how do you get in and start to have success, you know, immediately. And we don't use five terms like, you know, deposit and withdrawal and your wallet and like things that are scary and unknown to the masses. We use gaming terms, you know, uh, you know, recharge your health and activate and level up and on and on and on and, and crafting and like that really, really matters. But at some point, there's going to be this perfect paradigm of what play to earn gaming is without the security concerns with the convenience built in where people go, OK, I'm no longer scared. And the price point isn't so risky that if I lose this five dollars or twenty dollars, fifty dollars, then I'm going to be table flipping. So that's going to happen. And then the big game companies are going to say, OK, this is a legitimate industry. We're going to buy our way in and then we're going to figure out how to make these hybrid titles that exist where it's it's free to play but with pay to earn in there. So it's, and that's not to say that it's pay and earn because that assumes that you're, you know, you're playing for free and then you have to pay. Like, I think there's this hybrid model that exists. It's like, you know what? You can play this free to play just like you would all day long. And you can do in-game, you know, in-app purchases and in-game purchases with downloadable content and open packs and dot, 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 dot. But if you want to monetize your time and engagement, here's the path to do that inside this game as well. So you kind of cover both spectrums. And I think that that will take that'll be a little bit of a rocky road for a while. But somebody's going to figure that out. And then at some point, it's like this is just how it works. Right. This is the paradigm shift is now complete. We're kind of five years in. And there's no reason why, you know, this industry, this pay to earn and gaming industry can't be a 10 trillion dollar industry by kind of like 2030. And what is our part in that? Like we said before, yeah, every a market leader in a technology or platform shift has been somebody who's been native in that regard. And that's where Wax is. And that's who Wax is. We are that native play to earn, you know, Web3 gaming experience. And that's why when I said, you know, every game we're building, we're trying to learn because we're trying to get our foundational knowledge in place because learning is power. And the further down the road we get on that front, the better. And one thing that we didn't cover that I want to talk about really quickly is people say like, oh, you know, where's your tokenomics report? And where's your white paper? And where's your this? And where's your that? And they're trying to understand. They're trying to look at all these things that is this game going to be a good use of their kind of their time and their money and their energy to focus on. But they're focusing on the wrong things. Right. They're completely focusing on the wrong things. Uh, there's a saying in the investing world when you're when you're a VC or when you're an entrepreneur client trying to raise money from VCs. There's a saying that they always say, bet on the jockey. Mm. And, and that ultimately means. I'm a VC. I get a thousand pitches a week. I have no idea if your business is any good or not, but I can measure you, right? I can look at you, I can see where you've been. I know what your character is. I understand the cut of your jib. And so we tell people, look at the team, look at the company. You want to know if a game's going to be successful? You can't look at a tokenomics report in a vacuum and tell me like, oh, these, you know, these block emissions seem to be right. These deflationary measures are really in line with what I was expecting. And look at these liquidity pools. Like none of that matters. Like people ask for these things, they actually don't want them and they don't need them. And to get them are super, super hurtful to them because they don't know what they're looking at. They don't know how to value it in the grand scheme. Yep. But we'll tell you if you know the team, if you know the team's history, if you know how they think, if you know how they operate, if you know how they see the world, what their worldview is, like that's going to give you a much stronger signal of whether this product is going to be successful or not. And that's why when I tell people, when you look at WAX and understand what we're doing, have faith in us, have patience, because we are all about studying every single aspect to give you a great experience on day one, day 181, day 365, you name it. You know, blockchain brawlers is a game that's going to live and grow for many, many years. And, you know, we, you know, it doesn't matter when you kind of on ramp into the game, we've got something for you that's going to appeal to you. We hope that's the goal. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. And uh, funnily enough, the reason I got into wax in 2018 was the old phrase betting on the man because it was William Quigley and right. um, a, you know, a mutual friend of uh, Dave who co-founded token gamer. We 
uh, were introduced to wax and, and they were like, oh, it's started by this guy, William Quigley, have a look at what he's done. And it was off the back of what he'd done that I was like, okay, if anyone's going to build something cool, it does seem like he he just is switched on in the space. And, you know, he's got a VC background and a gaming background. And it just seemed like the perfect, perfect unison. But something you said earlier in, in that um, answer has uh, led me to another question. Just a quick question for you. What? Does blockchain brawlers consider itself free to play? No. No, because I was going to say that you presumably need a, a wrestler and, and a gear and gear and a ring. You don't need gear. You need a wrestler and you need a ring. Gear is optional. Right. You should have gear, but you do not need gear. Now, okay. This is do I need to do I need to own a brawler on day one? No, you can go into the markets and buy the currencies. You can buy brawl and you can buy NFTs and you can craft a brawl yourself. I will tell you, uh, in my estimation, tied to this is what I've seen on secondary market. It's probably going to be. A better option try to get a brawler or try to get a pack uh because i i just get the sense that the community again we don't set any of these prices the community is going to yeah. charge a lot for these gold nfts and these brawls kind of early on you're like why would i ever do that right you shouldn't do that you should buy on the secondary market these things are already built i think they're valued you know really attractively i bought a couple myself on the secondary market because i didn't make any whitelist i I chatted uh, in Discord the other day, like, God, who do you have to know at this company to make a whitelist? They're like, well, you, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I could have forced my mind, but I didn't because I wanted to play the game. I wanted to be a whitelist participant potentially. I wanted to eat my own dog food, right? And so that's very much a part of who we are as well. Is we don't do anything that we don't expect our consumers. Like, you know, we very much look at it through the same lens because we are players of, of what we create. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, it's very refreshing to get that um, to get that take as well. Um, mm. You know, I think there's there's plenty of uh, game studios, developers, etc. That I wouldn't say you know give themselves advantages, but kind of don't <laughs> don't approach things from that player point of view. And uh, you, you know, to, to know that you're you're actively pursuing that or, or experiencing what the players experience um, certainly gives you that that perspective to to make the right decisions going forward for, for blockchain boards and of course for, for everything else that Wax Studios will develop. Uh, so I think just to just to end on, I, I guess I'll ask, do you have anything else to add? Any little tidbits of information that would uh, that it would be nice for our listeners to, to hear or, or anything else that you'd like to add? You know, uh, John, it's, it's funny. I, let me put a finer point on what you said. I, You know, we do love to play what we do and for many years, my wife would come in and see me playing on the various games that I was working on. And I was playing them for fun. She's like, what are you doing? You're playing those stupid video games. I'm like, no, I'm actually working. Yeah. <laughs> she looked at me kind of the old side eye, like, hmm. Like, <laughs> Perfect you know, scenario. Right. It's like always this wonderful excuse because, again, we love what we do. And, and I hope that you see that come through in the materials uh, that we put out there to consume, whether it's a social post or it's a press release or it's kind of the, the, you know, sort of the experience on the screen. It, you know, our passion, our love for gaming comes through. And I guess the thing that I would sort of like to share with the listeners is that if you do get into blockchain brawlers, um, you know, and you don't like what's there, that's totally fine. You know, be active in the community. Let us know. We monitor all the different social channels, like really exhaustively, and we want to get a feel for the audience. Um, but have patience with us. Know that our heart is in the right place. Know that we are trying to give, uh, you know, validate your use of time and money in our game. Like it's all about validating that 
you know, people think that the most valuable commodity in the world is, is the amount of money you have. The reality is the most valuable commodity you have is your free time. Yep. And if you spend your free time with us, then we want to validate that choice of spending your time with us. So we always look at it as, you know, are we validating, you know, that decision? Because we know you could, you know, watch TV or stream a podcast or, you know, MP3 player, you know, other game systems, what have you, see a movie, but you choose it to spend it with us. Okay. I want to validate that decision. And so if you don't like it, voice your concerns or whatnot, but know that we're always trying our best to, to validate that, uh, that decision you made. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, I, it really is. As long as that is the case, then you can't <laughs> fail. <laughs> so, um, I also i I've been spend spending the last three or four years working on getting to a place where I can play games and my girlfriend can't tell me not to, because it's you know it's important. It got to that point where um, we've we've just had a baby as well, so we've got that's a newborn. Great. And she, that's great. <laughs> thank you very much. But she came in with my son, and uh, I was on Skyweaver, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm reviewing the game. I, I'd, I'd hate to, I hate to do this. I, I don't want to be playing this game. I, I want to be sitting downstairs with you and cleaning the baby. But but what can I do? You know, I've got I've got to do that. So uh, I, I definitely appreciate the hustle to get you to that <laughs> get you to that oh, point. It's, yeah, it's true. It's, it's it's funny you say that. By the way, the PlayStation Four or the PlayStation first person shooter you're playing that you couldn't remember the name of was it Killzone? Oh, it might have been. I was sitting there racking my brain. You, you, two podcasts ago, you're like, I was so mad. I bought this. They shut it down. They gave me instructor. I'm like, I think that was Killzone. Right? Oh, no. No, it wasn't. Um, no, it's it wasn't so Killzone. I was racking my brain. Not that this is part of this podcast, but it, at the time, I was like, oh, I want to help him understand that because I, because I, I, I feel your pain in that regard. I will track it down, but that is the most aggrieved I've ever felt <laughs> at a game because it's, it's the opposite of the uh, philosophy you're going for. It was 100%. how can I punish this person for investing their free time with us? Yeah, exactly. There's that lack of consideration. We're always very considerate. So, yeah, and and fatherhood is great. You'll have you'll have so much fun being a father until your child turns 14, and and then you realize like you're the stupidest person in the room until they're 21 when they want to do a major life decision. Then you're back to being the smartest person. In the room. All right. So there's, there's sort of a seven year swing of, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> of less Absolutely. fun. We all go through It's okay. All right. Well, I've got 14 years now to, to enjoy. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. I can live with that. Appreciate it while you can. Yeah, I will. I'll <laughs> do my best. <laughs> Fingers crossed as we, as time goes on a little bit, you'll start getting here, start having a few less sleepless nights, mm -hmm. um, getting a bit more sleep. I know you've, uh, mm -hmm. oh, you've, uh, yeah, I'm, you've been having I'm an, an enjoyable on. time of it lately. Yeah, I mean it's it's natural. Uh, I've obviously been talking to him about NFTs and, and the Wax blockchain, but he's not very receptive quite yet. Well, you know, you need to start to teach, actually teach him how to play Skyweaver. So it's like, honey, yeah, I'm, I'm bonding. I'm not. I'm not working. I'm bonding. Look at me. You know, exactly. And if he likes wrestling, which you know I think is a, a rite of passage, then um, blockchain brawlers can be his first his first project. Can I share with you a funny story I had with my, when I was a new father for the first time? Oh, please do. So I had a, a buddy of mine. We owned a small percentage of a thoroughbred racing horse when I worked at Midway, which was near the Del Mar racetrack, which is this famous racing track. It was a ton of fun. And so we bought percentage ownership. And so my my son was newly born. He was like a week old. And my buddy who owned the horse, he's like, come on, let's go to Del Mar. Let's play the ponies. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. And my wife, who had been, you know, laid up you know you know postpartum and now she's going out by herself i said she's getting ready to go shopping i said hey honey you know flaherty wants me to go to the racetrack and you know play the punch she's like you said you're gonna stay with our son 
And so I'm on the phone with him at the time. I said, well, I've, I've got a babysit. Sorry, Flaherty. And I hung up on him. And she's walking out the door and she stops and she turns around and she goes, when it's your child, it's called parenting, not babysitting. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel I, I now feel guilty that I didn't realize that as you said it because yeah I, I definitely it, yeah child it's not child care it's uh it's fathering right, uh, that, right. That, exactly and, and my wife is good like that but it, it was just so funny that moment like as as guys we always think about our obligation and our buddies and all these things but when you become a parent it's parenting and it's not it's no longer you know child care or babysitting that's just a <laughs> funny moment in my life that I like to share with new fathers. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm learning some uh, some good life lessons here for me to mm. <laughs> for me to to keep note of. Um, this has been as, great, by the way. This has been super enjoyable, I, and I'm such huge fans. I I feel like if there was a podcast punch card, I've now been through twelve, and do I get my thirteenth one for free? Kind of thing because I've listened to everything you guys have done. I really appreciate the support, and I always. You know, when I first game, got into the industry, which wasn't a really long time ago in terms of blockchain gaming, the first thing I stumbled onto organically was Wax Lyrical. And you guys have educated me so much on the space and, and NFTs and kind of layer twos and, and all the things, security, audience, wallets, you name it. It's been super, super helpful to me. So it's I look forward to listening to you guys uh, with great enthusiasm uh, You know, every single week when you come out with your content. So thank you for that. Well, that's the podcast description sorted. We'll just copy and paste that paragraph <laughs> and put it under Wax Lyrical. I really appreciate that. You know, we're, I still feel like we're, we're learning. We're, we're new to the podcast game, but um, it, it's so good. I, I do genuinely look forward to, to doing it. And we've wanted to get guests on for a while. And I feel like we've, we've started strongly here. Mm, good. Thank yeah. you. Great. Okay. Well, fantastic. Um, Mike, thank you so much for uh, giving up your time today to uh, to speak with us. And I, you know, myself and Rob are both incredibly excited for blockchain brawlers, and I hope that all the listeners are going to be even more excited uh, after listening to this. So uh, once again, thank you so much for your time, and yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, talk to each other once again uh, sometime in the future. Yeah, guys, I'll do this anytime. Just let me know. Thank you for your uh, for your interest in what it is that you know I'm doing and Wax is doing. Thank you very much. Yeah, look forward to it. Okay, guys. So thank you once again to Michael Rubinelli, the head of uh, Wax Game Studios there for his time. And man, that was incredibly insightful. It was brilliant to get his perspective, not just on blockchain brawlers and the development path that that's going on, but the wider crypto space and the part that both the Wax blockchain and the Wax Studios will play a part in that. Yeah, that's that's what I really wanted to to know more about. I mean, we're being drip fed details about blockchain brawlers, which is, you know, par for the course. I can only tell you about what they're ready to tell you about. Um, but I really wanted to know, I think it's more interesting to know the people behind the projects and their, you know, their philosophy on going forward. So, um, yeah, that, that was, I really, I really enjoyed that. And he's, he's so good at being a guest on a podcast. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, it wasn't, he's so comfortable. Yeah, he was he was very natural, wasn't he? It was uh it was very smooth. I quite like that. I mean, as you said, Rob, I don't think we could have uh, asked for for much better for the uh, no. the first ever guest on Wax Lyrical. And it was yeah, it, I think it, did well there. <laughs> it was nice for me to uh to get a bit of preemptive life advice in there. We started talking about uh particular terms you use when you're minding your own children. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I'm I'm finding these things out in my shins at the moment, just walking into problems, and uh, so I, I'll pass down my my wisdom for you, the future, uh, future hydro powered. Oh dear.
Like, <laughs> is that, that's just going to be the surname for it. Is that my actual name? In, in the StreamYard room that we record this, my name is actually John Hydropowered, so maybe that is my real surname. Yeah, John, you mean it's not? You're not John Hydropowered? <laughs> somebody, on, somebody on Twitter the other day was like, I, I think I, because my name on my personal Twitter used to be John slash Hydropowered, and, and now it's just Hydropowered. Um, when I first created that Twitter, um, someone was like, oh, so your first name is Hydro and your surname is Powered, so you're Mr. Hydro Powered. I was like, I, wow. Yes. That, what, are you an anime character? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, have you seen my profile picture? I think it's kind of... Well, I have, and I, I have one of my own now. You do? We've got to think of an anime, uh, anime name for yourself. I'm not sure what <laughs> we'd... Uh... <laughs> I had... Uh, you've actually seen the email address because I once joined the call uh, <laughs> yes. by accident on the wrong one. But when I was like 14, there was all these people were picking their like rap names, but like unironically picking their rap names. And so my friend and I uh, picked two, we picked our own rap names, but ironically, and I went by Urban Bob and uh, he went by Timmy Magic. <laughs> and uh, but what's crazy is that I'm 34, still using that email address for like, that's where I sign up for anything. I don't really care. I don't want to see the email. So I, I use my Urban Bob moniker. Oh, I'm expecting a Twitter account to to be made immediately after this goes live. <laughs> at, at Urban Bob for uh, Rob's new personal Twitter. <laughs> well, I guess we'll, we'll stop talking about um, old rap names and get into our usual... Uh, <laughs> Outro well, we we you know we always fall apart towards the end, and it you know it's it's no different. Oh, yeah, this is uh, par for the course uh, as usual. So, uh, so Rob, where can we find uh, you? Uh, Twitter at Token Gamer News, where we tweet stuff. Um, Jesus, yep. And then smooth website. Smooth. We website on a website, and you just go to tokengamer.io where we do really good websiting and then come into our discord because we really do discord in our discord we've got um we've got a lot more people in there now since the uh nft giveaway which is good because it was a bit quiet in there and now it's not um we're still doing that giveaway by the way we have um god maybe still a hundred nfts to give away including one that is worth the most of all of them uh, mm. it was briefly pipped by uh fgl's cosmic clash um, the spaceship pack we gave away a few weeks ago was worth, uh, I don't know, like $380 or something like that. Wow. But we have one more uh, NFT, which isn't Cosmic Clash. It's a different game. And uh, it was at one point the other day worth $600. So uh, it's a big old whack. So um, all you have to do is download the app and join our Discord. And uh, the rest is, is obvious. My pinned tweet will give you instructions on how to enter. Um yeah, I think that's everything covered. Over to you, John. Uh, smooth as always, Rob. Uh, no, I, I especially liked the uh, we Discord in our Discord. I'll mm. have to steal that one myself. Putting the <laughs> disco in Discord. <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect. Oh, my word. Okay, so for myself, uh, for the latest NFT news, it is nftinsider.io and it's nftinsider underscore io on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you may see me done a few updates to the websites and now crypto ticker on the um on the nft insider site and yeah we, we've kind of we've been doing a few articles lately uh that are non-wax based you know we've been covering skyweaver um quite a lot lately and uh, if you do 
enjoy Skyweaver and would like to hear more from their team, uh, definitely keep an eye on NFT Insider. We've got some uh, some exclusive content coming up very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, it is at Hydropowered, H-Y-D-R-O-P-W-R-D on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok. Still not made any TikToks, but we will get there. <laughs> And I stream blockchain games three times a week, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 19 UTC. I've uh, been playing a lot of Costume Clash lately. They've been releasing some new maps. It's been uh, a whole bunch of fun and uh, a lot of Skyweaver as well. And I'm sure when Blockchain Rollers releases, you can count me to be there day one as soon as it drops uh, to, uh, you know, be showing all of you guys my experience of that. So that is everything from me. And I think that's just about everything, Rob. Uh, that is, and uh, my baby has just come through the front door, so uh, it's a very timely end here because you will hear screaming, um, mine, not the baby's, uh, <laughs> within the next sort of 10 seconds. So uh, yeah, uh, next week, I don't know what we're doing next week. I don't think we've decided a topic, have we yet? So if you've got any suggestions, throw them at us. Yeah, we'll uh, tackle any phrase with a plum. So any phrase, mm-hmm. any topic rather. Oh, and ending but with a plomb smooth, with a plomb ending as yeah, smooth as always train <laughs> <laughs> anyway. back yeah, thank you so much for listening listening oh Christ thank you oh, so much Sean Connery's entered the chat <laughs> jeez I just about get to get the Sean Connery reference somewhere ah uh, right <laughs> see you next week see you guys next week